are empowered by lay-driven leadership, connecting lay ministries and business people to share Christ in the marketplace in support of the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As we begin the Sabbath hours together, it is my privilege to welcome you to the ASI Spring Convention, streaming live on, A3, on 3ABN and on the ASI website. It's my privilege to greet each of you, and I've been asked to share briefly, personally, what ASI means to me. For me, it has become a global, loving, functional family. In fact, while I was in college, I had the privilege of hearing the voice of God who directed me to Isaiah 58.8. Since then, I've had a passionate concern for the poor and for helping them understand ways to improve their health and well-being. At times, this calling has felt quite lonely. In 2015, I became a baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it wasn't until I attended my first ASI convention in 2017 that I realized there was hundreds of other people with similar callings on their lives that had started ministries, others that were in businesses and had a passionate calling through the marketplace of how to share Christ. Together, this functional family is working to fulfill the calling in each and every person's life that is involved. In 2018, I had the privilege of going to Nairobi, Kenya, where I met our very own ASI Secretary and Treasurer, Philip Baptiste, at the ASI convention. It was a beautiful reminder that we are also a global family of faith and that all of us have gifts to bring. Personally, ASI has helped me to fulfill the Lord's calling on my life through mentorship and friendship, and also the financial gifts. ASI has helped the ministry that I lead, Farm Stew, to be able to grow into four countries already. Also personally, it has helped me to develop as a leader and to develop spiritually. I invite each and every one of you to be part of the ASI family. If you've already been with us for years, we welcome you home and we invite you to spend the evening with us. I'd like to read one quote just to share. All who would receive Christ by faith were united to him by a tie closer than that of human kinship. They would become one with him as he was one with the Father. Steve, what does ASI mean to you? Joy, thank you for asking, and what a blessing it is to be here with what I call my ASI family. You know, I've been involved with ASI for many years, and God has blessed by challenging me so many times to get out of my comfort zone, to do things I would not normally do, to engage in activities and go on missions and, and, and work for Him in ways that if I were by myself, I might be afraid to do. Listening friend, maybe you're tonight going to hear about ASI for the first time. If that's true, I hope that you too will receive a challenge and that you'll think about what God may be calling you to do. As you watch tonight, pray and ask God to show you what He's asking you to do. Tonight, we're going to be blessed by our Secretary Treasurer, Philip Baptiste. He is um, 
isolated, you might say, at this point because of this pandemic we're in. But Philip is going to just say a few words of welcome and pray for us tonight. Philip? Greetings, ASI's family. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to be with you. I'm so glad that I could come and just uh, join you in this uh, virtual experience. I'm actually home in Maryland. We're on lockdown. But Steve, I've been enjoying every bit of this awesome virtual event, uh, from the speakers to the music, and especially the members in action. I've been so inspired by the stories of lives being transformed for Christ and business people and ministry people using their gifts and talents to engage in our mission of sharing Christ in the marketplace. And I can't wait to hear Mark Finley tonight. I'm really looking forward to that. And our World Church President, Ted Wilson, tomorrow morning. So thank you for this opportunity. And I'll be happy to pray for us as we begin this evening's program. Let us pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your love and your blessings. We want to pray that your Holy Spirit will descend upon us in copious showers. Fill us with your presence this evening, and as we hear your word, may our lives be transformed, and may we be energized to say, what can I do to make an even bigger difference for you to help hasten the soon coming of Jesus? We thank you for this evening. Bless our program tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Denise, for that beautiful number. It is one of my favorite songs, actually. And um, Shabbat Shalom to the ASI family. We want to welcome you again to this incredible program. God has blessed, and I hope you've been able to participate uh, via whatever platform, the blessings that we've also received. This is a virtual conference, and um, although it's virtual, it's easily recognizable. One of the most important things I believe that ASI is famous for is the Members in Action session. And tonight, for the first one, we're going to look at a ministry that Nalan Edwards and his wife are engaged in in Kentucky. It's called um, River, Red River Outpost. It's going to be a lifestyle center. They'll be producing delicious food. And, well, you know, they can tell you all about it. So let's look at this Members in Action. There are three books that has inspired Red River. The first one I want to share with you is Madison God's Beautiful Farm. This book shares the miraculous story of how God raised up that God-inspired model school there in the Nashville area by Sutherland and the gang. And then I want to share this book by Robert Pearson called Miracles Happen Every Day. And it shares stories after stories of how God raised up varying institutions all around the world. You have Wildwood, Eugene Pines, Eden Valley, Weimar, Living Springs, but today we want to share a modern-day miracle of how God raised up Red River Wellness and Training Center. And we pray that our story inspires you as other stories has inspired us. Well, Red River is a missionary training school located in Stanton, Kentucky. You know, a few years ago, my wife and I, we were praying in 2009 and asking God to open up a way for us to do ministry. And He took away our jobs and we went faith-based into a self-supporting endeavor. 
And then he began to show us about medical missionary work. He began to show us about canvassing. He began to show us about agriculture and how these are to be combined under one umbrella and utilize this as a means of taking the gospel to the world, sanitarium work. And then my wife and I began to realize that this is the very work for the hour. Now, because we had left our well-supported careers and put all into the work, we realized that we did not have the resources to develop such an institution. So for us, it began on our knees through much prayer and, and earnestness, just asking God, please, Lord, we want you to prepare a way for us to be able to carry out such a ministry. And then we ran across this book now, Medical Ministry. And in page 308 of this book, you know, it shares some inspiring promises. And on our knees, we began to point to this book and say, Lord, we want to claim these promises. And it talks about how we should have a location outside of the city with a water source, with land for agriculture, with a sanitarium just outside of large cities, with a mission of influence in the cities. And as we began to pray, we realized one particular paragraph stood out to us. It says, either as a gift from the owners or at low cost. And we began to pray that because we lack resources, because we've given all into the work. We said, Lord, we need to claim this promises. We need this to be a gift from the owners. So what happened is we put in a proposal and the proposal was accepted by the person that we we're looking to rent this facility from. And then he literally came back and said, this is exactly why we built this property. And we're going to give it to you as a gift from the owners. And we were just praising God and just rejoicing because it was truly a modern day miracle. There's a lot of wonderful things happening right now. Our ultimate goal is to become self-supporting. We have quite a few things that we've started up already. Um, we've already started a lamp industry, like a light fixture industry. And we already started selling that in Etsy. We already started an agriculture program with our microgreens and we're growing out our entire fields. We've been doing canvassing programs, we've been doing Bible work, we have been linked with our local conference and our local church, and we have become the evangelistic arm for the church. So we've been doing a lot of wonderful things in the area. We started a bread making industry and we have just located a little location in our local city there where we want to carry out our food factory, we want to carry out our bread making, we want to start up a little deli. So there's a lot of wonderful things taking place there. And we're also going to start up our TCI outreach program there as well. So our goal in everything that we do is evangelism, evangelism, and evangelism. The plans for the future at Red River Wellness and Training Center is we need to build out facilities. We have a lot of good things and good endeavors that we have planned for the future. Um, we have some wonderful staff that has come from all around the world. And we're, we're blessed to have them there with us. But the problem is right now we only have one large location. Uh, we have a 10,000 square foot house and we do have some other smaller houses, but all of our facilities are occupied now and it leaves little room for expansion. So we want to open up our sanitarium, which requires more structures because the, the building that's there now is constructed to be a sanitarium, but because it's fully occupied by our staff, we don't have any room. So our main issue now is that we need housing so that our staff that's occupying our current sanitarium may have their own housing so that we can open up the sanitarium now for our community so that that could be a means of resource and in everything that we're doing we have three goals in mind number one it should be educational number two it should be evangelistic and number three it should be profitable so those are the three things that we have for all of our institutions and our sanitarium is one of the main means of being evangelistic being educational and also bringing in resources so we really need facilities right now that we can ha have a space for our, our, our faculty so that we can carry out all the blessings and the plans that God has for us there at Red River. We have quite a few wonderful things that were donated. By God's grace, it is it's such a rich blessing. It was, it was a 10,000 square foot house that was donated with 10 bedrooms and seven bathrooms. It has a gymnasium with that was fully equipped. We had towels and juicers and beddings and furniture. 
Uh, it has a four-car garage slash workshop. It has a barn, a tractor, bulldozer was also donated. It has a, already a greenhouse with all the equipment to carry out agriculture program. Um, it is such a rich blessing that God has provided all these things for us miraculously. It has its own water source, which is mentioned in this book. It has one of the things that I didn't even expect. <laughs> it actually has its own natural gas. So we have no gas bill. We have no water bill. The only bill that we have currently is electric. And once we get some kind of alternative energy, then we won't have any bills at all. So God has just richly blessed us. And we feel so blessed that we are part of God's modern day miracle. And we pray and trust that our story may inspire you, as I mentioned, as other stories has inspired us here at Red River. So what do we need from you? As you see that we're trying to carry out the ministry of Christ in these last days. We want to expand our sanitarium. We want to expand our operation. We have staff that we need to compensate. And obviously to carry out these functions, it requires resources. And as you look at how God built the sanctuary, he could have just said, let there be a sanctuary, but that's not what he did. He actually appealed to the people in that time to provide the resources that were necessary to build that sanctuary. And the blessing is Moses actually had to put a halt to those that were bringing gifts because Moses says it was too much. So what am I saying? We need your help. We need resources. We need finances. We need people to come and help us build. And I pray that you prayfully consider how you can go ahead and help this ministry financially. We cannot do it without you. Let's partner together, partner with Christ, and make sure that we're doing our part in this final closing work of this earth's history. Great ministry there in Kentucky, Red River Outpost Centers. As I walked on their property, I thought it's amazing what God is getting ready to do here. And, um, you know, as part of what we're doing here this weekend, there is going to be some project offering that we'll be receiving on Sabbath morning. I want you to begin to pray now about how God might lead you to support some of these ministries. We'll have a website up. We'll be talking more about that tomorrow, but just pray about that because some of these ministries are in need of support that can help them to take the next step to the next level and how God is leading them. You know, it's, uh, it's just a blessing there. Our next Members in Action story is from a group called NAPS, and uh, it's an amazing ministry that they have all over the world where they're ministering to people who are some of the least of these. I invite you to watch now and be compassionate as you see this video. NAPS, the National Association for the Prevention of Starvation, and that's both spiritual and physical. God has taken this global ministry to places others fear to go and present the Word of God in a way that they will receive. Right now, you are going to see a powerful testimony from our mission to Madagascar, where our board-certified medical director led a team of trained medical missionaries as they shared God's love. Last week, and she's complaining of her leg constantly itching for four years, and she was itching and itching, and when she came, it was raw, it was open, there was all kind of mucus and bacteria, so we did hydrotherapy treatments with the contrast bath, and then we wrapped it in a charcoal poultice, and we did two or three treatments, and after that, we prayed, and her leg is healed, and she said it no longer itches, and so we've been giving all the honor and praise and glory to God, and she praises the Lord because she knows that God has healed her leg, and she said she loves Him very much. And she's my friend. 
<laughs> and I love her. Tikwena. <laughs> so we pray for her soul to be in heaven. Simone was a little baby who is about 10 weeks old. And the grandma actually brought the baby to the clinic, complaining that she's so scared because after the baby is breastfed, the baby vomits up food. And so um, we told her about God, who she didn't know about God. None of her family did. And we said, we're going to pray to God, the great creator, who is the only one who can heal her. And then the mom came and found us in our village the next day and said, the baby's no longer throwing up. The baby's feeding well. Thank you so much. Can you guys please come and pray in my home? So we went and prayed in her home, and currently we've been doing Bible studies with her, and she's been gathering everyone around her village. So the last Bible study we did, there were 19 people in the home in which we did Bible study, and they're so interested on fire, and they come out to the evangelistic meetings, and we know that this is just going to be the beginning of something great to come. So we just praise the Lord for just using us to be able to bring his word to them. Questioning why was I ever born? That could have been me. That could have been me with the homeless. Not enjoying a happy home. Enjoying a could have been me with the dying. Oh, I know it's not mine. There are more people that are traveling the long distance, the two-day travel, to try to seek medical attention here. Well, what's going to happen? Where are you going to be? Well, tomorrow I already promised that I would go across the river to the villages over on the hills because they are wanting medical care too. So we were going to travel there. One mother we saw brought her child to see me, and the witch doctor had placed all these charms and stuff on the child. And we asked her why, and she said, I was desperate. My child was sick. I had nowhere else to go. So they go to the witch doctor. And then there you have their souls being sold out to the devil. It's very hard because I'm the only physician, and a lot of these people need help, and they travel days to get here. I can't see the ball by myself. So we need more physicians to come out here to help so that I don't have to keep turning people away. Thank you. Not just to heal the physical, but the spiritual. Because we want the voice of the children softly playing for silence in the shadow. 
with NAPS and our medical evangelism students here in the Black Belt area of Alabama and Mississippi. And unfortunately, the poverty that we have seen here is just as great as what you've just seen in the video. There are many people who want to come and join the team and help push this work further, but unfortunately we've had to put our applicants on hold because we do not have enough housing. But we are praying and trusting in God that he will provide us with all we need to be able to build these dormitories. And even more so than us, God wants this work to be finished so he can come and take us home. incredible ministry. Just looking at those children brings tears to my eyes. And this ministry, I believe, is the kind of work that God has called the ASI family to. And we're really proud of these young people as they minister to the least of these in society, in the States and abroad. I believe that they do need our help. Additionally, I think this ministry demonstrates something very important that we've been doing here today in discovering that the third angel's message must be tied to the right arm, the gospel and the ministry of healing tied together. So I'm very proud and pleased with the work that NAPS is doing. And just even their title, you know, the, the National Association for the Prevention of Starvation, both spiritual and physical starvation. So um, this is really what Members in Action is all about. And um, Joy, you have some thoughts as well about this. Yeah, it is heart-wrenching to see the pictures of those children and to know that one in three children in many parts of the world, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, are severely malnourished. And we're so glad that there are ministries like NAPS and also like the picture rolls, which are coming up next, that are equipping our family of faith with not only the spiritual doctrines, but also the health message. The picture rolls are very exciting, and I've actually personally taken two, one to Uganda and one to South Sudan, but there are thousands. And so we're going to be hearing from Rodney Bose and also our leader, remind me of her name? Barbara Taylor. Barbara Taylor, who are leading this effort with the picture rolls. We're thrilled and they are going to share a message that will be very meaningful to you. 
Good evening, Barbara. I'm so glad that we could be together this evening. I wanted to give you the time to share about your experience with New Beginnings. Thank you. Thank you, Rodney. I'm so excited to be able to share the project of New Beginnings. New Beginnings is probably one of the most outstanding, successful, soul-winning projects around the world. Many times, many years ago, uh, evangelists would travel all over the world, and they would hold evangelistic meetings. They would go to different countries, and they would baptize maybe 10, 15, 20, 100 people. And after one year, they discovered, oh, they only had a few people that they had baptized that were still remaining in the church. And they decided that they had to do something to keep the people grounded in the message and, and a participant in sharing the gospel message. In 2002, Mark Finley joined with the members of ASI, Denzel McNeilis, and other board members, and they decided what would happen if we trained the laymen and women of the church to share the Bible lessons in small groups. And that's how they developed the program, The New Beginnings. Now, New Beginnings has been in successful around the world in many, many, many countries. And once they started with the small groups, they decided to go through training and they trained all the different areas of the world. And they, when they trained, they set up teams of four people now, the four people were the team leader, who was the main speaker, the assistant speaker, a technician, and then, of course, they had a host or a hostess who hosted the meetings in their home. The first week, the teams of four people, they would start out with a list of 10 names. Now, maybe those 10 names might have been a family member, a relative, a work associate, somebody in their community, somebody that uh, they had a burden on their heart to bring to the message. And they would take those 10 names and they would pray earnestly over those 10 names for the first week. Then after the first week, they would all get together and they would share their names. And now they had 40 names. And when they had the 40 names, they would pray earnestly for the Holy Spirit to impress upon the people the urgency of knowing about the good news of the three angels' message. After the second week, they started setting up their teams, and they went to invite people from their list of names that they had, and they would normally come in with maybe anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 people that would respond positively to come to the home and study the Bible. Once they started studying the Bible, the people that got involved were so enthused and so excited about what they were learning, and they felt that they were being nurtured, and they were being part of a family of Christ. They also became very involved. As soon as those people were baptized, they couldn't wait to go out and share the message with others. And as the small group started uh, all over the world, and they were, again, beginning with the newly converted people, the newly converted people were a part of the new team because once they were baptized, they were on fire for the Lord. They couldn't wait to let their family and their friends and their work associates and people in their community, they wanted to let them know about what 
was happening with the good news of the three angels message. So they would be part of the next team. Now, maybe they were a technician or maybe they were a host or a hostess, but they were involved and they became more and more grounded in the message. If you want to get grounded in the message, you need to start a small group home Bible study. The New Beginnings program is developed primarily for small groups, but it's also for anyone that wants to hold an evangelistic meeting or for anyone that wants to share the Bible with others. The New Beginnings has just recently been updated, uh, and Rodney will be telling about that uh, to you so you can hear about what we're doing now in updating the gra graphics and also the lessons. This New Beginnings program has been such a blessing to so many people, and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people have been baptized as a result of the New Beginnings small group home Bible studies. In South America alone, there are 90,000 small group home Bible studies. Uh, 90,000, just think of that. That's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we need to know that as we get closer and closer to the end of time, this is so vital that we have small group, uh, small group home Bible studies. This is an opportunity, you know, as we get closer and closer to the end of time, this is the only chance that we're going to have to share the message with others is in small groups. Sister White tells us that she saw in vision that small groups will be vital in sharing the end time message. I'd like to share with you just a couple of testimonies. I have traveled all over the world and I have trained tens of thousands of, of team leaders to go back to their churches and set up their small groups. And I can't tell you, I get so excited about sharing. I can't wait to share their training with others. But I want to share with you the very first training that ever took place was in the country of Moldova. Now, that year, Moldova had a 2% baptismal rate. Well, they came in, they were going to do the training that weekend, and wouldn't you know, a Siberian clipper came in, and they had a minus 36 degrees Celsius. And they thought, there is no way. These people have to walk from a very great distance to get to the church, and it was so, so cold, and they didn't expect anyone to show up for the training. Well, the next day, much to their surprise, the church was packed. They had over 1,200 people that came to the meetings. And these people sat in the training all day, and they were so excited and so motivated. They went home, and they formed their small groups. And after their small groups, they started studying the Bible together. And the next year, they had a 14% growth in their uh, church uh baptismal uh, uh, growth. Now, isn't that amazing? Wouldn't we love to have 14% growth in our churches each year? That was such a blessing. I also want to share with you, uh, when I went to Bolivia, uh, we were in Cochabamba, and we trained over 2,700 people that came from a great, great distance to be trained. And they came 24 hours, some of them, just to come to the training. But there was a general there, and this general was the top general of Bolivia. He was second only to the president of Bolivia. And his wife and two children, they had been uh, baptized through small group home Bible studies. And every Sabbath, they would come to their what they call papa, 
And the little girls would say, oh, Papa, please, please, won't you come to church with us? And he'd say, no. And he'd march off and he would go to work. And then every week they would pray and pray. And every single Sabbath they would plead with their Papa, please, Papa, please come to church. But no, he would march off and he would go to his office. Again, after about two years of urgent, sincere prayer, the, little, the smallest little girl said to her, Papa, she said, Papa, please, won't you come to church with us? Okay, I will. So sure enough, he went to church, he listened, and he eventually became a Seventh-day Adventist. And the next year, he set up small group home Bible studies, and they had 27 baptisms. And he invited all the top people from the government to come to his small group home Bible studies. And he was so excited. He said, next year, I'm going to have three different small group home Bible studies throughout the year. And uh, this is just one of the many, many testimonies that I have to share. I wish I could share them all with you. But God is working in marvelous ways. He is winning many, many souls to his kingdom. And these small groups are so vital because we need to hold small groups in our churches. And every single one of our training needs to be done in the churches, in our countries, around the world. And each and every one needs to find a team that they can bring uh, together in their church and they can start small group home Bible studies. And I can assure you, the results of one soul, one to God's kingdom, is worth all the blessings of the world. We can never count the joy that it, each person receives when they have one person that gives their life to Jesus. The three angels' message is going out to the world, and we need to be a part of it and share the love and the joy and the happiness of Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Barbara. Those were, stories were so inspiring. I could have listened to them for an hour for sure. They're just incredible what God is doing. And I wanted to share just a little bit at this time what our new, new beginnings is going to look like. I hope and pray that each of you have an opportunity to use them very soon. So some of you might have used the older new beginnings slides and they were in a four by three format. And the format uh, is a little bit dated at this time. So we have a new format that I wanted to show you. You can see here, the next uh, slide shows us the beautiful new imagery of using the creation grid outline that our Seventh-day Adventist church is using. You can see the Seventh-day Adventist logo there on the right side uh, for places that might not be as um, acceptable for that logo, you can uh, use it without the logo. So it's going to be a really powerful thing. We also have the same format that many of you are familiar with, uh, showing the slide and then the sermon notes right next to them. It's going to be very easy to use. And what I really want to highlight is the graphics. I am so excited. We are working together with the Justinian group, and they are doing a fantastic job in refreshing the graphics. Here's a picture of the older graphics, and here is a picture of the new one. And it is just so fresh and so powerful. You can see that one showed the uh, pandemic that we are currently under. 
and we know that these graphics are going to really touch people's lives. I'd like to tell you a little bit about the other part of New Beginnings. New Beginnings has a sister project, and that is the picture rolls. The picture rolls were developed because there were many areas of the world that do not have electricity. Some of you will recall several years ago, we did what's called the Total Member Involvement Project in Rwanda. And it was amazing. The amount of meetings that were happening was truly incredible. Hundreds of thousands of people were coming to the meetings, and we had one of the largest baptisms that ever occurred in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But many of those meetings did not have any kind of graphic support. They did not have electricity, no projectors, and the evangelists simply stood up and read a script. And we said, what can we do to help people like that? So we decided, a little group got together, and we said, we need to make a picture roll that is going to illustrate the New Beginnings sermons, all 26 of them, in a powerful way. So I want to show you just a few pictures from the uh, picture roll project. The picture roll project is very powerful, focusing on the three angels' messages. It is all throughout. You can see uh, these picture rolls are quite large, actually. They're three feet wide, and they're in a kind of a format like a widescreen TV. So we're trying to take this, these graphics to the people and let them see them. Uh, we had an opportunity to uh, get together, choose some of the best artwork that we have in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and then we chose a company in China to produce these. And these picture rolls are very special. They are not your average picture roll. They are made with synthetic, waterproof, tear-resistant paper, and we put them inside a nearly indestructible tube. So these are going to last for a long, long time. So my friend and I went to China. We saw the production. It was so encouraging to see that in that country where there's a lot of religious uh, persecution and oppression, that the gospel was being produced right there in China and then being shipped all over the world. We sent 7,500 picture rolls around the world. And I want to share with you uh, some stories and show you some of the places where these picture rolls have ended up. We have uh, the first story is in East Africa. We sent a lot of picture rolls to East Africa. In East Africa, we were able to uh, use them in Ethiopia. Uh, my wife and I went to Ethiopia with the TMI project in Ethiopia, and it was a wonderful experience to see the people's faces lighting up. Even though we had a microphone, there was no projector, no TV or anything like that. So uh, I was able to use the picture roll, and it really made a great impression upon the people. In Africa, we have a couple of ASI ministries that use these picture rolls on a regular basis. It's Kibidula Farms and Riverside. I want to share with you some stories from our pioneer Bible workers in Riverside. The next picture here that you see is our team receiving the picture rolls. Each one of those boxes contains two picture roll sets. And these 
evangelists went all throughout the country sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the three angels' messages with people. It was so encouraging. Now, sometimes people say, oh, the picture roll is only made for kids. And while it is true that the picture roll is very effective for the kids, uh, it is not only for the kids. The next picture will show uh, one of the instructors with a group of children. And, of course, they meet under the trees as well as we had envisioned in our mind that these picture rolls would be used under the trees. Uh, and they have been very effective in winning children to Jesus Christ. But it's not only been kids. There have also been adults that have really been blessed by seeing these picture roles. And they've been used in baptismal classes. They've been used to prepare people to accept the present truth message for this time. What a blessing. I want to share with you a story of Mrs. Waluka. Mrs. Waluka was teaching in a small village there in uh, Africa. And the kids were flocking to see the picture roll. They didn't have television. They didn't have any uh, other devices to engage them and steal their attention away. So as Mrs. Waluka was sharing, the kids were coming and their parents just could not keep them away. There were other churches in the area, but the Adventist church had the picture roll and people really wanted to see the gospel. And it was amazing to... Uh, see how the kids were bringing their parents to the message as well. What a blessing that has been. Another story that I want to share with you here uh, is found in from Craig Harding. I want to read to you what he said. He said, between evangelism with students and our pioneer Bible workers in the field, we have seen 3,261 baptisms. The Bible workers all have the picture rolls which have helped with these results. So these picture rolls are on the front lines. They are helping people understand the three angels' messages. There are script books that go along with it, and there are health lessons. So it is truly the complete message that is being presented here. Now let's go to Southeast Asia. We sent 1,500 of these picture rolls to ASAP Ministries. And here you see the Bible workers receiving those. The next picture will show some of the pioneer missionaries getting ready to take these to Cambodia and Thailand and Myanmar. What a blessing it is. And finally, I want to share the last place uh, is going to be in Papua New Guinea. 1,500 were sent there in the original shipment and right now as we speak there is another 1500 that is on the way and the stories that are coming back from papua new guinea are amazing god is doing incredible things please continue to pray as these new beginnings resources touch the lives of men and women all around the world god is so good Thank you so much, Rodney and Barbara, for that wonderful report about what God is doing using the New Beginnings program, the picture rolls, and all of those tools that ASI has uh, been a part of 
in supplying to the lay people of the world to help get this good news to the world. Tonight, we have a very special feature. We have Dan Houghton and Mark Finley on Skype with us live tonight. And Dan, it wasn't long ago, in fact, it was just a couple of years ago, we were on stage at ASI together. And tell us about that project and what's happening now. Thank you, Steve. It was uh, almost two years ago when we were in Orlando, and we were talking about the, uh, the desire to place the pictures of the three angels, the posters we had created in all the schools in North America, all the, uh, uh, the Adventist uh, classrooms. And in fact, if we can have the go ahead and run the first, uh, the first slide for me, we'll go through some of these slides. Um, the Three Angels Message Project, which we have been working on for two years, a little over two years, in fact, uh, began at that time uh, when we were talking there, Steve, and that was to put these posters in all of the uh, Adventist classrooms. And yes, that happened right after that ASI convention. If we can go ahead and have the first slide up, if the guys can go ahead and put that, there we go. Okay, this was our, our Three Angels Message Project, and go on to the next slide. And that was the Three Angels artwork, posters for Adventist classrooms. Now go ahead to the next slide there, if you will. These four posters were created, and they were actually introduced at the ASI convention, and then they were actually exposed to all of our teachers at the teachers' convention in Chicago just a week later. And we were glad to be able to uh, have that happen. Go to the next uh, slide, if you will. Uh, we put 2,800 sets of these posters in, in, um, in the classrooms of North America. Now, not all classrooms have them in, but we've had such fantastic responses from all those classrooms. And of course, the next step that we wanted to do, and you can go to the next slide, was to develop a curriculum. And I want you to say, I'm not going to talk about the curriculum right now. Tomorrow we will do that. But uh, we also decided that we needed to do some other things. And so we can go to the next slide. Um, our, our objective was to empower kids and adults to share the three angels' messages. And we talked about the experiences of, of new beginnings. And one of the ways this whole thing started was that uh, our friend Rusty McKee, in fact, uh, Steve, when you and I were on a stage together, uh, Rusty and myself and Mark were with you, all four of us. And how this really happened, I just want to give a quick sketch. And by the way, Rusty McKee is watching from home tonight. Um, but Rusty was with us at that time and was with Mark, and we actually talked about how uh, this began. And, and what happened is, is that Rusty was starting to raise the question in his hiking and biking and all the things he does in the, in the community where he is for exercise, he was actually um, uh, finding out that the kids didn't know much about the Three Angels' messages. And so that kind of led to something else, and he was talking to our friend Brad Colson, and the two of them were talking about it, and they called me, and that's how this whole thing started. And and since that time, 2,800 classrooms have this. We have a curriculum that's in process, but we said we need a proclamation element of this. And so uh, I would like uh, just to quickly go to the next slide. Uh, we uh, developed uh, a 13-part thir series on the Three Angels Messages. Next slide. Let's keep moving through these quickly. Uh, we wanted to match up to a Sabbath school quarterly so it could be used for small groups or a short revival series or even an evangelistic series. And our goal is to revive an interest in our Adventist DNA, the three angels' messages. And Mark will be talking about that here in just a minute. We want our members to make it their own and be able to share it. And, you know, Mark Finley began uh, to work on these new sermons in the month of August 2019, and he wrote 13 new sermons. We'll talk to him about it in just a minute. But in the production, 
The sermon videos came together right there at Three Angels Broadcasting, and we did this in March just before the nation kind of shut down. And we were very impressed with how that happened. And by the way, we did a beautiful partnership with 3ABN, and it's a Heart Research Center 3ABN project. And we're very, very pleased with that. And right now, I'd like to have you play just a quick, short uh, uh, video so you can get a little bit of an experience about what this series is. Is there a point of identity for God's people today? There is. The book of Revelation, the three angels' messages are our Shema. They are our rallying point. They identify a community of believers that God has raised up in the divine drama of destiny to prepare a world for the second coming of Christ. In the book of Evangelism, page 119, I read this statement. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. Now, you may be a Seventh-day Adventist watching this broadcast, watching this DVD, and uh, if you are, I want to undergird this reality that the message of the three angels is not simply something that is tacked on to Adventist faith, but it's the very foundation. If you are not a Seventh-day Adventist, I invite you to journey with us. I invite you to walk with me as we go through these messages. And there's only one body in the world that's preaching the three angels' messages, and that's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. God raised up the Adventist Church miraculously. Seventh-day Adventists believe that there's Christians in every denomination. Adventists believe that there's loving, God-fearing people in every religious communion. But we also believe that in the divine drama of destiny, in the providence of God, humbly we believe that God has raised up a movement to prepare a world for His soon coming, and that the identification of that movement comes in this Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 to 12. These are some of the most significant verses in all the Bible, and they clearly identify God's last day people today. So let's walk through these verses together. Let's study them together and discover what they say. In this book of Angels, on page 119, that statement goes on. They, Adventists, have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages, these three cosmic messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are not to allow anything else to absorb their attention. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. I just want to say that uh, working with Three Angels Broadcasting Network is awesome. This is a co-production with them. We're very thrilled with this. And I just want to say, we're going to skip the next several slides because I want to make sure Mark and I have time. But we are launching, the grand premiere of this will actually take place June the 6th. It'll start with Three Angels Broadcasting Network uh, putting it up. And it'll also be on Hope Channel, uh, Three Angels Broadcasting Network, Hope Lives 365, all summer long. So, Mark, I want to move right directly to a conversation. You know, what did you have in mind when you were preparing these sermons? Well, Jan, when I prepared the sermons, I was really struck with the fact that the three angels' messages speak with relevance to this generation. 
I wanted to produce sermons that were grace-filled, filled with the love of Christ, but that were faithful to the text that met the questions of this generation, pointing out that Adventist identity finds itself, its heart, its roots in Revelation 14, 6 to 12. You know, I spent about 100 hours studying and produced 13 sermons on those just six verses in the book of Revelation. And I discovered as I studied more deeply that these messages speak to the heart of this generation at this time, and they identify who we are as a people. Now, Mark, uh, after that 100 hours, uh, what did you sense, you know, as you were writing them, could you sense the Spirit of God working in you? There were many times as I was writing the sermons that I simply bowed my head over my Bible and thanked God for the insights that he was giving me. There are other times that I struggled with the text and said, Lord, I want to make this as plain as possible so that pastors, so that lay people can preach these messages. And so we prepared the sermons word for word. We correlated them with the graphics and they can be used in revival series in local churches. They can be used by pastors in evangelistic meetings in just a variety of ways, Dan. Now, Mark, let's just go to this point. What role do you see the three angels message playing in the end time events that are, that are right upon us? You know, I read a very fascinating statement recently that I wasn't as familiar with. It comes from the Review and Herald, October 13, 1904. And Ellen White makes this observation. We have received the light of the three angels' messages, and now we need to come decidedly to the front and take our position on the side of truth. The 14th chapter of Revelation is a chapter of deepest interest— this scripture will soon be understood in all its bearings, and the messages given to John the Revelator will be repeated with distinct utterance. That is a key statement for me, that the messages of the three angels will be repeated with distinct utterance. To me, that is saying that in the last days of verse history, the grace-filled, Christ-centered, life-transformational messages of the three angels will move the world. When you look at the judgment in the light of the three angels' messages, you see a God of justice. When you look at the Sabbath in the light of the three angels' messages, you understand the coming crisis over the mark of the beast and the law of God. When you look at, for example, giving glory to God in the light of the judgment, you hear a call to selflessness in an age of self-centeredness. And so when you begin to look at the three angels' messages with those eyes, you see that it's God's message today that's to go to the end of the earth to light this world with the glory of God. Amen, Mark. Thank you so much. And I just want to say, if we can go ahead and bring up the, the, um, the last picture of, of the second coming, we just want to say, why are we doing this? It's really simple. We're doing this because we want Jesus to come. And we want every Adventist to get involved and study and share. Steve? Thank you so much, Dan and Mark, for that amazing report about what God has been doing in preparing this message for us. And tonight, we're going to be privileged to hear our next presentation that's been uh, recorded for us ahead of time. We're going to be privileged to hear Elder Mark Finley. And thank you so much, Elder Finley, for preparing this message. We join Elder Finley now.
As always, I'm delighted to be with our ASI audience in this virtual ASI meeting. For over 50 years now, I've been standing on the platforms of the world sharing God's last day message in the book of Revelation. But over this last year, I have restudied Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12, in the entire book of Revelation. And my heart beats once again with the urgency to share God's last day message in the light of the soon return of Jesus. Let's bow our heads to pray as we launch in to the first of a series of messages on the significance of the three angels' messages for today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to comprehend the message for this hour. Burn into our hearts and minds a sense that you are coming and coming soon. Help us to know once again that you have a message for earth's final hour tucked away in the book of Revelation, that these three cosmic messages speak to this generation with meaning and relevance. Transform our lives as we study these messages in Christ's name. Amen. My topic for this presentation is simply this, the three angels' messages, their primacy, in other words, their importance, their purpose, what's the purpose of these messages, their protection, how do they protect the people of God from heresy in the last days of earth's history, their proclamation, how will they pro be proclaimed, who will proclaim them, and the power of these messages. Messages given by God for this generation. Come with me and meet some of these early Adventists that proclaimed these messages. They came from widely different backgrounds. They came from diverse occupations. They came from distinct religious persuasions. Who were they? They were pastors and teachers and merchants and artisans and sailors. Some were young, others were older. But they were bound together by one central truth, that Jesus Christ was coming and coming soon. Meet, for example, William Miller. Miller studied the word of God and came to the distinct conclusion from the prophecies of God's word that Jesus Christ was coming, and he was coming soon. The urgency of the coming of Christ burned in Miller's heart. He was a farmer from Lowhampton, New York, a deist at first. The deists believed that God kind of created this world or brought it into existence, and that then God left the world alone. He kind of wound it up like a clock and let it tick. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe that God intervened in the world. With that belief, Miller became discouraged, depressed. For Miller, death was a dark hole in the ground. It was a long night without a morning. But as he began to study the Bible, he saw the charms of the matchless love of Christ. He was transformed by the grace of Christ, and the cross of Christ changed his life. He found forgiveness and grace and mercy. But the more he studied, he became to the conclusion, based on the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, that Christ was coming, 
that he would come sometime at the end of the 2300 days, prophetic days or literal years, in or around. At first he believed 1843, then they settled on 1844. William Miller preached in schoolhouses. He preached in churches. He preached in tents. He preached wherever he could get an audience. Whatever denomination invited him, Miller would preach. He traveled incessantly for thousands of miles by horseback, by carriage, often in very difficult weather conditions. He spent his own money, received no salary for what he was doing. He withdrew his savings, spent on the cause of Christ. Why did he do it? For one reason and one reason alone. Miller believed that Christ was coming and there was a message to share. Then there was Joseph Bates, a sea captain from New Bedford, Massachusetts. Bates was prominent in the temperance movement. He believed in the evils of tobacco and alcohol and forbade them actually for a time on his ships. He was interested in the health message, eventually became a vegetarian. Bates read a tract by T.M. Preble, accepted the Sabbath. Earlier he had accepted the preaching of William Miller and uh, Bates was a passionate preacher of the Second Advent. Bates eventually sold his home to put the money into printing and spreading the Adventist message. At one time, this once prosperous sea captain had only enough money, can you believe it, to buy two cups of flour. Why did he make such sacrifices? Because he passionately believed, like William Miller, that Christ was coming, and he was coming soon, and he had to do everything he could to prepare a world for the coming of Jesus. There was Hiram Edson from Port Gibson, New York. Edson, like the other Advent believers, looked forward to, for Christ's coming on October 22, 1844. When Jesus did not come, Edson was deeply disappointed, turned his attention back to Scripture. But as they studied the sanctuary, they recognized that the sanctuary to be cleansed at the end of the 2300 days, based on Daniel 8, 14, unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Edson believed that Jesus Christ, who would come, was not going to come to earth at, in 1844, but he went into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, in judgment before he would come. Edson was so passionate about that that he began to print, to preach the word of God, and to make unusual sacrifices. He and his wife coveted together that they would sell their wedding silver, and they did. Why did Miller and Bates and Hiram Edson make such sacrifices? Because beating within their hearts was the desire to see Jesus come soon. Then there were James and Ellen White who labored incessantly for the cause of Christ, believing too that Jesus was coming soon. They traveled hundreds, thousands of miles, often in inclement weather, made unusual personal sacrifices. Two of their children died, one at a very young age, one in, as a teenager. Eventually, James White succumbed to illness and died. 
But Ellen White continued to travel, continued to preach. Why? Because like William Miller, like Joseph Bates, like Hiram Edson, she believed that Jesus Christ was coming soon. There's something that was beating in these Adventist hearts. There was an urgency. Ellen White directed the attention of these Adventists to, through her prophetic visions, to the reason for their existence. She directed these Adventists to the fact that the only reason Adventists existed was to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus Christ. There was no other reason for their existence. Tucked away in the book of Revelation, Ellen White directed their attention to a message that they had been studying, a message from Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, a message of three angels flying in mid-heaven. She directed their attention to that message. And as early Adventists studied those three angels' messages, they sensed an urgency to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim God's last day message. They sensed that this message was a protection against the errors of our time, the evils that would come into the church through the deceptions of Satan. They sensed the significance of that expression, Babylon the Great is fallen. They they sensed that God was calling a unique movement out based on the truth of his word to prepare a world for the coming of Jesus. They studied that message of the third angel, the mark of the beast and the seal of God, and began to understand the significance in the light of the mark of the beast of the Sabbath message. The first of those messages in Revelation 14, verse 6, says this, Then I saw another angel flying in the middle of heaven. The angel flies with an urgent message, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those that dwell on the earth. It's the gospel, and it's everlasting. It's the good news that Christ has died, that Christ forgives our sins, that through Jesus' power we can be free from condemnation and new again that our lives can be changed. It's the everlasting gospel. It's to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It is a universal message to go to the ends of the earth. The angel would say with a loud voice. Why with a loud voice? So that all the world would know and hear. Fear God. That is, obey God. Give glory to God in what you eat and drink and what you do. The hour of his judgment has come. We're living in special time in this earth's history. Worship him who made heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Worship the Creator. These messages tucked away there in Revelation that are to speak with a loud voice to an end-time generation have been the motivation of Adventist missions since our inception. This is what has compelled Adventists to send missionaries around the world. It was in 1874 that the General Conference met and sent John Andrews to Europe. Ellen White called John Andrews the ablest man in our ranks. Why would Andrews be the ablest man in our ranks? And why would we ever send the ablest man to a far-flung mission corner of the world, Europe at that time, where there were no jet planes to take you in a few hours, we'd have to travel by boat to get there, take you weeks to get there? Well, first, Andrews was brilliant. He spoke at least 
six languages. And uh, as Andrew spoke these six languages, he could repeat the New Testament from memory. He knew most of the Old Testament by heart as well. John Andrews was a brilliant scholar. He was a prolific writer. He was a absolutely um, powerful, powerful preacher and a, a very accomplished author. He wrote prolifically. Why would you send Andrews? Why would the General Conference make the decision to send the ablest person in our ranks to a place where there were just a very few Adventists, where there would be countries in Europe that had no Adventists in them at the time? What, what motivated the General Conference to send him there? Why would he be willing to go? His wife had died a few years before. His children, two of them, uh, would go with him. He would go as a widower there. And uh, one of his children, Mary, his eldest daughter, would die. She would get pneumonia in Europe, come back to the States eventually and die. But what is the motivation of all that? Why send Adventist missionaries around the world, many of them who would never return? There is one reason for that. Throughout our history, Adventists have sent their brightest and best. They've traveled to the ends of the earth to proclaim God's message. But there have been one reason. There's only one reason for that. There's one purpose for that. Like William Miller, like Joseph Bates, like Hiram Edson, like James and Ellen White, J.N. Andrews believed that there was a message to share with the world. They believed that the Seventh Adventist Church was more than just another denomination, more than just another church on the religious horizon. They believed that this was a prophetic movement of destiny raised up by God to prepare a world for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. We've sent our brightest and our best Many of them died and never came back. So there are graves of Adventist missionaries in Europe, in Asia, in Africa, in Inter, in South America. Those graves testify of a people who believe that there's a message to share with the world and no sacrifice is too great to share that message. Who were these who left? They were pastors. They were teachers. They were administrators. Many of them were lay people. Their hearts beat with the urgency of Christ's second coming. Every nerve in their body pulsated with the sense that Jesus Christ is indeed coming soon. This idea of the soon return of Jesus and a world that needs to be warned has sparked a flame in Adventist hearts and men and women and boys and girls have gone to the ends of the earth. Adventists believe that God has entrusted us with a last-day message to share with the world. What is the primacy of this message? Now, what do I mean by primacy? That is, how important is this message? How significant is this message? The primacy of the Adventist message. Is this something simply that is on the periphery of, a, of the Bible? Is this kind of like an elective course that you can take in college that is not necessary to take? Or is this part of the very core, the very essence? I'd like to suggest to you 
that the message of the three angels is at the very essence of God's last day message, and it's at the very core of who Adventists are. The book of Revelation is the Bible's last book. It reveals the plans of God. It unmasks the plans of Satan. Now, Revelation is not merely a book of cryptic images and mystic symbols. The Bible says, Revelation says, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of whom? Of Jesus Christ. Where did he get it? God gave it to him. He then sent it by his angel to John, and John wrote it down. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revelation of his love, of his goodness, of his power, of his mercy, of his grace. In Revelation, Jesus is the dying lamb and the living priest. In Revelation, Jesus is the one that dies for us and he's the one that lives for us. Throughout the book of Revelation, the theme is Jesus wins and Satan loses. In Revelation chapter 1, you have the introduction of who Jesus is. He is the one that was and is and shall be. He is the one that existed from eternity. He came to earth, tabernacled in human flesh, modeled the love of God, died the death we should have died so we could live the life that he lives. But he's the resurrected Christ, the one that's alive. He's the one that was and is and the one that is coming again. That's Revelation 1. Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches. Revelation 4 and 5, the, the, the divine Christ who is our high priest up in heaven, the one who died for us, the lamb pictured up in heaven. Revelation chapters 6 and 7. You talk about, talks about the seven seals. And then we follow with the seven trumpets. And then we come to Revelation chapter 10, chapter 12, and chapter 14. In those chapters of Revelation chapter 10, 12, and 14, we, saw, we see the prophetic rise of God's people in chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 10, God describes his people that would rise out of disappointment just like the early Christian church was disappointed when Christ didn't come in 31, Adventists were disappointed when he didn't come in 1844. Just as God raised up a divine movement in New Testament Christianity filled with the Spirit to go out and proclaim his message to the world, so after the disappointment of 1844, God would raise up a movement out of disappointment. We find that in Revelation 10, the prophetic rise of God's people. In Revelation chapter 12, we find the identifying characteristics of God's people. Revelation 12, verse 17, the dragon, who's the dragon? Satan, was angry with the woman. Who's the woman? The church. He goes to make war with the rest of her offspring, the New King James says, the King James Version says, with the remnant of her seed, those that remain faithful and loyal in the last days, who keep the commandments of God and of the testimony of Jesus. So here in Revelation chapter 12, you have the two identifying characteristics of God's church. God would raise up a divine movement in the last days that would be charmed by the love of Christ, redeemed by the grace of Christ, transformed by the power of Christ, and they would be so in love with Jesus, so in love with Jesus, that they would desire to keep the very commandments of God. They would walk in the light of his truth. They would live in the light of his grace. They would be obedient to the light of his law. 
God's end time people would obey Christ not out of some legalistic requirement to earn their way to heaven, but they would obey Christ because of what he had done for them. He was their creator, he was their redeemer, and he was the one that kept the law perfectly. And so in commitment to him, they would accept his admonition in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So in Revelation 10, we have the prophetic rise of the true church. In Revelation 12, we have the identifying characteristics of the true church. God's true church would keep his commandments, including the Bible Sabbath, and be guided and directed and instructed by the latter-day gift of prophecy. When you come to Revelation chapter 14, you have the message of the true church. So Revelation 10, the prophetic rise of the true church. Revelation chapter 12, the identifying characteristics of the true church. Revelation 14, the prophetic rise of the prophetic message of the true church. Now, in Revelation chapter 14, we have a message that is as important for this generation as Noah's message was for his generation. God raised up Noah to prepare the world for a flood. The world would be destroyed by water. Noah's message was to prepare the world for that coming disaster. Was anybody saved who did not accept Noah's message? Did anybody get into the ark who didn't? Not at all. God's message was sent by love. God desired through his grace, by his mercy and forgiveness, to get as many people into the ark as possible. And I believe that the model that God gave for the ark was a model that God would have loved to have 50 arks, 100 arks, if he could have got that many people in, right? Noah's message had one purpose, to prepare the world for the coming flood. So the three angels' messages in Revelation have one primary purpose, to prepare the world for the coming destruction of the world by fire and to get people out of this world alive. God, in grace, raised up Noah to prepare a world, and in grace and mercy, he has raised up the Adventist people with a vital, important message that is primary to prepare a world for the coming of Jesus. His mercy is everlasting. His love is infinite. His grace is unfathomable. His power is plenteous. God has a message to get a people ready for his return. Seventh-day Adventists have been raised up by God with a special message. Think about John the Baptist. He was raised up at a special time with a special message to prepare a special people for the first coming of Jesus. If God raised up Noah to prepare the world for a coming flood, and if he raised up John the Baptist to prepare the world for the first coming of Jesus, would he not raise up a special people with a special message to prepare the world for a special event, namely the second coming of Christ? The three angels' messages are primary. Ellen White, in a book called Evangelism, page 119, puts it this way. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. 
they have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Now, do you notice that statement? The work of the first, second, and third angel's messages are of so great importance, there is nothing else to absorb their attention. In other words, these messages are vital, not only for the people of God, but they're vital to share with the world. They are urgent messages for this generation at this time. Now, we've noticed the prophetic primacy of these messages, central to the plan of God, to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Now, let's look at the prophetic purpose of these three angels' messages. Our world is facing a crossroads. Our world is at a crisis time in their history. Not only that, but every single one of us face a crisis time. So the three angels' messages are designed at this crisis time with a prophetic purpose to get men and women, boys and girls, ready for an event, namely the second coming of Christ. Light is shining from heaven's sanctuary. Light is shining on the word of God, on these three angels' messages that are to be proclaimed for this generation. God is leading a people to deep commitment to him. This is not the call to shallow. Shallow calls to shallow. Deep calls to deep. This is not the call to play games with Christianity. This is not the call to wade in kiddie wading pools and pick up pennies. This is the call to dive deep and grasp the pearl of great price. This is not the call for a foot-stomping, hand-clapping, superficial, emotional religion. This is the call of depth. It is the call to enter in to the Shekinah glory of God's presence in the light of the judgment to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus Christ. It is a call to prayer. It is a call to revival. It is a call to reformation. It is a call to renewed interest in witness. It is a call from Laodicean complacency. The purpose of these messages is to wake up a people of God in the light of the judgment to prepare a world for the soon coming of Jesus. This message leads men and women to make eternal decisions. Now, Revelation chapter 14 is divided into three parts. Verses 1 to 5 show you the redeemed on the sea of glass in a group called the 144,000. Revelation 6 to 12 are the message that prepare that people. And Revelation 14 verses 14 to 20 describe the final harvest, the event that these people are prepared for. Revelation 14, verse 15 says, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now notice carefully. Thrust in your sickle and reap. Why? For the harvest of the earth is ripe. Every seed goes to harvest. It's harvest time. And God's people, in commitment to him, God's people who are charmed by his love, God's people who are redeemed by his grace, God's people who are transformed by his power, reflect to a waiting world and a watching universe the magnificence of his love and his greatness. The harvest is ripe. 
But not only is the harvest of golden grain ripe, the harvest of gory grapes are ripe. Every human being makes their final irrevocable decision. The purpose of the three angels' messages is not simply to play games with religion and fill people's head with knowledge, but it's to lead people to decision for Christ and all eternity. Accepting these messages in their full implication is the road to eternal life. Rejecting them is the road to eternal death. Wickedness will go to seed and evil will be fully developed. We have yet to realize what will take place when God's spirit has full play in the hearts of his people and the demonic spirits of spiritualism and the devil have full play in the hearts of those who have rejected God's love and grace. We have yet to see what a world will look like when the devil's power of evil is unleashed and God's power through his Holy Spirit is unleashed. What are the purposes of these messages? The purpose of these messages are to prepare a people for eternity. So the three angels' message are primary in God's plan. The three angels' message have a final purpose in God's plan. Now thirdly, the three angels' messages, above everything else in Scripture, will protect a last day people from the onslaught of evil that will come upon God's church. There is this conflict between the truth and falsehood at end time. The devil will pull out every stop to deceive God's people. Like a whirlwind of destruction, falsehood will sweep across the land. But God's truth is the safeguard against that falsehood. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, verse 14 and 15. He says, every wind of doctrine will be blowing. Every wind of doctrine, evolutionary thought that undermines Scripture, the idea that Christ comes in some kind of secret rapture, the idea that if you love Jesus, his law is insignificant, the idea that love to Christ does not lead you to obedience, but some kind of emotional feel-good religion. The idea that Christ may not come for hundreds, thousands of years. See, all kind of heresy is going to come in both to the church and to the world. Every wind of doctrine will be blowing. What is the safeguard against this heresy? Notice Revelation 18, verse 2. This is the fourth angel that gives his power to the third angel. He cries mightily with a loud voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen has become a dwelling place of demons, a prisoner of every foul spirit in the cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Revelation 18 talks about a time when the earth is going to be lightened with the glory of God. But it talks about this triumvirate of error. It talks about the religious powers and the political powers and the financial powers uniting. It talks about the spirits of demons being unleashed, the spirits of demons bringing deception 
to the world. What is our anchor for this? Only the grace of God and the love of Jesus will keep us from being enticed by Babylon's wine of false doctrine. Only an understanding of God's word, only knowing his final message will keep us. Ellen White, in the book Early Writings, page 256, puts it this way. These messages, that's the three angels' messages, were presented to me as being an anchor to the people of God. What are these messages, everybody? What are they? An anchor to the people of God. Those who understand and receive them will be kept from being swept away by the many delusions of Satan. I want to be kept from being swept away by the delusions of Satan. What about you? Is that your goal? And what will keep us? These messages are an anchor to the people of God. The latter reign of God's Holy Spirit will soon be poured out on a people that are totally, absolutely, completely dedicated to Jesus. As that latter reign of the Spirit is poured out, they will give the loud cry of the third angel and the message of these three angels will be taken to the ends of the earth. Satan will see that and he will unleash the powers of hell and bring heresy and falsehood. But God's people will have an anchor to the soul, the three angels' messages. Thousands around the world who are honest-hearted will hear this message of love, hear this message of grace, be transformed by God's grace and accept this message to join with the Adventist people. Now listen, here's Ellen White, Great Controversy, page 464. Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth. What's that? The final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth. What's that? The seven last plagues. There will be among the people of God, of the Lord, such a revival of primitive godliness that has not been witnessed since apostolic times. So before the seven last plagues is, are poured out, there's going to be a revival of God's people. The latter rain, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Then what happens? The spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. The spirit of God, the latter rain power, just like Pentecost was fueled by the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. At that time, many will separate themselves from those churches in which the love of the world has supplanted love for God and his word. So at that time, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, the loud cry is given, hundreds, thousands are going to come in to the Adventist message. Many, both of ministers and people, now notice this, will gladly accept those great truths which God has caused to be proclaimed at this time to prepare people for the Lord's second coming. The enemy of souls desires to hinder this work. What work does the enemy of souls desire to hinder? What work is it? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the loud cry, the, ha the hastening into God's church tens of thousands of people. He wants to hinder that. Who's the enemy of souls? That's Satan. So what's he going to do? Before the time for such a movement shall come. So before the seven last plagues, before the loud cry, before the latter rain, before that, because Satan wants to hinder it, he will endeavor to prevent it by introducing a counterfeit. When does the counterfeit come? Before or after the latter rain and loud cry? Before. In those churches which he can bring under his deceptive power, he'll make it appear that God's special blessing is poured out. Isn't that just like the devil, to make it appear that God's blessing is poured out? There'll be manifest what's thought to be great religious interest. Multitudes will exalt 
that God's is working marvelously for them when the work is that of another spirit. Under a religious guise, Satan will extend his influence over the whole Christian world. So merely because there's some so-called religious revival, merely because people feel good, merely because they have some emotional form of religion, if it does not lead them to a deep commitment to Christ, if it does not lead them to love God's word, if it does not lead them to obedience, that we can know is a counterfeit false revival. Now notice as this statement goes on, there's an emotional excitement. You think there'll be some kind of music in that emotional excitement that wraps people, that ramps people up for some emotional phenomena? There's a mingling of the true and the false. See, it's not all false. There'll be a mingling of that that is well adapted to mislead. Yet none need be deceived. Praise God. None need be deceived. In the light of God's word, it is not difficult to determine the nature of these movements. How do you determine it? Here you go. Whenever men neglect the testimony of the Bible, turning away from those plain soul-testing truths which require self-denial and renunciation of the world, there we may be sure that God's blessing is not bestowed. What can we expect? We can expect false revivals to sweep through nominal Protestantism and even in some Adventist churches. These revivals will be based on a feel-good religion. They will not call to deep Bible study. They will not call to repentance. They will not call to, to manifest obedience. They will not call to an understanding of the three angels' messages. But what did we read earlier? The three angels' messages are what? An anchor to the soul that will keep us from the delusions of Satan. The three angels' messages clearly reveal God's end-time message to protect us from Satan's counterfeits. Now, the fourth thing about these messages that we need to notice is the prophetic power of the three angels' messages. The prophetic power. We've noticed the primacy of these messages. They are of imperative importance for the last days. We've noticed the purpose of these messages to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. We've noticed the protection of these messages, that these messages are God's bulwark against deception. They protect the people of God. What about the prophetic power of these three angels' messages? The loud cry of Revelation, the 18th chapter, will propel the gospel forward to impact the world. Now, I want to just pause here to notice something that I think is quite fascinating. The three angels' messages carry with them a power to convict people living in the last days of earth's history of the need to prepare for the coming of Jesus. I want to look at two movements, Seventh-day Baptists and Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Baptists have approximately 50,000 members around the world. They have approximately 5,000 members in the United States, and they are in 22 countries. Now, both Seventh-day Baptists and Seventh-day Adventists keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. There are, there are some other differences among them. They're both Bible-believing people. That is a similarity. They both are committed to Christ. That's a similarity. They both keep the Sabbath. There's differences on health and state of the dead. But the prime difference between these groups is Adventist understanding of prophetic identity based on the three angels' messages. Now look at Seventh-day Adventists. There's 23 million Adventists around the world. A million people every year are baptized, or more, a million, 300,000 this last year were baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church. Adventists have a goal of being in over 230 countries. Now we are in about 218 different countries. 
Now, you look at these two movements. One is a fledgling, very small movement, 50,000 around the world, the other is 23 million. What is the major difference in these movements? What's the major difference between these groups? Seventh-day Adventists are a prophetic movement preaching a prophetic message at a prophetic moment in this earth's history. Ellen White wrote in her day to a brother who was preaching the Sabbath. He was an Adventist. He was preaching the Sabbath, but he was separating it from the three angels' messages. Her letter to him is found in volume one of the testimonies, page 337. And this is a very interesting letter. She writes, as far as the Sabbath is concerned, he occupies the same position as Seventh-day Baptists. Now, wait a minute. Baptists believe, Seventh-day Baptists believe in the Sabbath in Genesis, the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath in the Old Testament, the Sabbath in the New Testament. Where do we depart from them in our understanding of the Sabbath? We see the Sabbath as at the heart of the three angels' messages. We see the Sabbath as a call to worship the Creator in the age of evolution. We see the Sabbath as part of a final test over the mark of the beast at end time. Now listen, as far as the Sabbath is concerned, he occupies the same position as Seventh-day Baptists. Separate the Sabbath from the messages. Now what? Separate the Sabbath from what? The messages. What messages? The three angels' messages. And it loses its power. So if you separate the Sabbath from the messages, it's going to lose its power. But when connected with the message of the third angel, when the Sabbath is connected with the message of the third angel, a power attends it which convicts unbelievers and infidels and brings them out with strength to stand, to live, to grow and flourish in the Lord. You want to reach a postmodern generation? You want to reach intellectuals? You want to reach a secular culture? What does this say? That there's a power that attends the three angels' messages that's going to convict unbelievers. I have seen that in my evangelistic ministry around the world. In the early 1990s, when the Soviet Union fell and communism fell, I had the privilege of preaching in the Kremlin two sessions each evening, 6,500 people at each session, 13,000 people coming every night, coming from an agnostic, atheistic, some of them backgrounds, intellectuals, infidels, unbelievers. And I remember the night I met the Russian general that led the Afghan invasion. And he said to me, after I had preached the prophetic message, he said, Pastor Mark, I have met with a group of Russian intellectuals and we see that this message is the only message that can prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. And he was thrilled with the prophetic message of Scripture. Mikhail Gorbachev's translator came to our meetings, a very intelligent, godly woman. And as she came, the prophetic messages touched her heart and she was changed. There is a power in the three angels' messages when they are proclaimed in the grace of Christ and the love of God that transforms lives. We've looked at the primacy of these messages. We've looked at the purpose of them. We've looked that they can protect God's people. We've seen the power. The final proclamation of these messages is taking place right now around the world. 
And God is calling you to be part of this prophetic proclamation. Revelation 18, verse 1. I saw, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, come out of her, my people. This fourth angel, as we've mentioned earlier, is to join in this final proclamation of God's people. Now notice carefully four specific phrases in these verses. Every one is fraught with meaning. An angel comes down from heaven. Here is a divine message. Here is a message that comes from the throne of God. Here is a message to join with the three angels' message in this fourth angel to give this message power in its final proclamation. Notice it says the angel has great authority. That word for authority is power. It's a word that is associated with triumph over the principalities and powers of hell. The third phrase, the earth is illuminated with God's glory. What is God's glory? God's glory is his grace. God's glory is his character. God's glory is his ability to change human lives. So here, a messenger from heaven comes illuminates the earth with the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The latter rain falls. The loud cry is given. And God's people seize the moment. God's people take advantage of the opportunity. God's people are consumed as these early Adventists were with the desire for Christ to come. And they go to the ends of the earth proclaiming God's last day message with great power. And the earth is illuminated with the glory of God. Ellen White in the book Great Controversy, page 606 says, thus the message of the third angel will be proclaimed as the time comes for it to be given with greatest power. The Lord will work through what? Through what? Through humble instruments, leading the minds of those who consecrate themselves to his service. The laborers will be qualified rather by the unction of his spirit than by the training of literary institutions. God is going to take men and women, common men and women, ordinary men and women. He's going to take lay people, fill them with his spirit. They'll be on their knees praying for revival. They'll be on their knees praying for reformation. They'll be asking God to help them to proclaim these messages clearly. And God is going to take these lay people. Notice what it says. Men of faith and prayer will be constrained to go forth with holy zeal declaring the words that God has given them. God has a message to be given to this generation. God has a mission to be accomplished. And God is calling you, my brother, my sister, to be part of that. Servants of God, with their faces lighted up, will hasten from place to place. Listen to the final glorious climax of God's people. Great Controversy, page 612. Servants of God. Are you a servant of God? I know you are. With their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration, will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. By thousands of voices all over the earth, by thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given. Miracles will be wrought. The sick will be healed. Signs and wonders will follow the believers. This is something big. This is something great. This is something large. This is something amazing that will take place in the last days of earth's history by thousands of voices all over the earth. We will see miracles wrought. We will see the sick heal. We will see the message of Christ go forth with unusual power. This is our destiny. This indeed 
is the mission to which we have been called. Time is running out. Do you sense the call of God to be part of something big for him? Do you sense the call of God to be done with Laodicean complacency? Do you sense the call of God to be done with superficiality? Do you sense the call of God to know him more deeply, to love him more supremely, to study his word more fully, and be committed to his mission of sharing the love of Christ, sharing the message of scripture, sharing the end time message of the three angels with the ends of the earth. Do you sense that call of the spirit to your heart right now? Seventh day Adventists are not simply another church or denomination. They are a prophetic people called for a special moment of earth's history with a special message to prepare men and women for a special event, the second coming of Christ. There can be nothing more important, nothing more significant. Will you open your heart as those early Advents pioneers did? Will you open your heart just now and ask Jesus to fill you with a passionate desire to share his end time message. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you're coming soon. Thank you for a message given in Revelation to prepare a world for your soon return. Oh, my Father, may every single one of us open our hearts right now, move upon us by your Spirit, lead us to know your love more fully. Break our hearts in repentance. Lead us to be so filled with your grace that we can give your loud cry of the three angels to prepare a world for your soon coming. And come soon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark Finley, for that amazing message. Talking about the three angels' messages. You know, I, I take away from this a number of points. I'm thinking how Pastor Mark called us to understand that the three angels' messages is like an anchor. And when I think of that, I think of a boat that needs to be secured. And maybe tonight something is adrift in your life. Joy, what did you take away from this? What are some salient points for you? Well, Pastor Finley always summarizes the points so well, and he said that the three angels' message is primary, it is our purpose, and it is our protection. And I just want to cling to that protection in this time. Now, Joy, you have an interesting experience because you have recently come into this message and understand this message. Amen. And, you know, I just want to thank you the viewers who are out there who are committed to this church and this message, because there's there's six little words in, in Revelations 18 that are so precious to people like me. Those words are, come out of her, my people. See, I loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but I didn't know this message. And I didn't know the truth of Sabbath. I didn't know the state of the dead. I didn't know so many things. I'd never heard them before. And it's because of people like you who are taking this message to heart and because of organizations like ASI who are sharing this message that I came into this truth and I will be forever grateful. Thank you, Joy. Amazing. Lindy, what 
what impacted you tonight as you heard this message? What impacted you? Many things impacted me, and uh, I felt it was a solemn call to me and to us as a people to recognize that we have a unique calling as a prophetic movement uh, with a unique message different than others to call the world in an end time setting. This gospel is not just like any gospel. It is a gospel that is powerful enough to bring on the second coming. And I, as I listened, I rec recognized that we need, I believe, a greater appreciation, less distraction, mm. because mm. we have been called, the quote that he used from evangelism, which I really appreciated, is that we are to allow nothing else to absorb our attention. And that's a quote that Pastor Mark used a couple of times. Uh, it was now, a solemn message and a solemn call. I'm going to get a little personal. Now, that statement says nothing else should be allowed to absorb our attention. Is there anything in your life that may be taking your attention away from giving full attention to this message? I, I don't want you to answer that. I want you to think about that. And listening, friend, maybe there's something in your life that is absorbing your attention, that is pulling your attention away from Christ, that is pulling your attention away from this message. I want you to think what that might be. Because in a moment, we're going to ask the question, what do we do about that? Because I believe there, there are many of us listening tonight who have a head knowledge of this message. We understand this. In fact, I think I could quote this. The three angels' messages from beginning to end with few mistakes. I believe that I have not just that kind of knowledge, but I think I have somewhat of an understanding of this message and these messages. Amen. But when I have to stop and ask myself the question, am I living this message in such a way that under the power of the Holy Spirit, I am demonstrating to the world what this message is all about, mm. I have to pause. You know, I'll say that one of my coworkers in Uganda, she always says, time is short, Jesus is coming. <laughs> and seriously, she takes that message so serious and it's what wakes me up in the morning. And Pastor Finley made this great quote. He says, no sacrifice is too great. And he told the story of our pioneers for whom no sacrifice was too great to carry this message to the world. And, you know, when we hear stories like that, it's to me, that's motivating. I hope it is for all of you as well. Amen. I, I would uh, add to that. Um, I think for myself, as I listened to the message tonight, it drew my attention to Revelation chapter 3, the message to Laodicea. And the reason that's significant is that um, we're still here. We're still here. And clearly we're not supposed to be here. Something's mm -hmm. gone wrong. And as I listened tonight, I felt a call to my own life, to repentance. And I know that others as well as they listened felt also a call to repentance because then revival and reformation comes. And that's what I need in my life. Amen.
So here we are this evening. We've heard this fantastic message. Elder Finley has really drilled into the depths of the three angels' messages. And the Holy Spirit has been working in my heart. The Holy Spirit may have been working in your heart, my friend. And I hope tonight that you're able to stop for a moment and think deeply and think carefully about what God may be calling you to do. What sacrifice may He be calling you to? How may be He calling you to live differently? Lindy, would you pray for us? I'd be happy to. Father in heaven, we have listened tonight to Pastor Mark preach on the third angel's message. Our hearts are warmed and encouraged, but yet there is a sense that something is wrong. Father, I know that I have gone astray. I ask forgiveness. I want to repent, and I know I pray for everyone listening. We want to be transparent before you. We want to live lives of service to you um, and not lives of lukewarmness and and pride and arrogance. We want to repent that we're still here and ask for revival and reformation in our lives as a result. For Jesus' sake, amen.